0: Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, will be our scripture for today. If You'll make your way there. We say it often, don't we? We say that we believe in the... I get to preach to the choir today, right? We say that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. C.S. Lewis once remarked, everyone says forgiveness... Is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. It's a great statement. The statement of our sins are forgiven or that we forgive someone else is one of the most powerful declarations that we as fallen sinful man could ever make. For those who have felt the weight of their sin and the guilt of their sin, there's absolutely nothing better than knowing that because of Christ our sins have been forgiven. There's nothing better than to know that in Christ your sins have been forgiven. There's nothing better. Our culture, like no other, before us attempts to turn sin into something fun and guilt into something that is always someone else's fault. Isn't that true in our world? We are bombarded in our culture and in our world with people telling us that sin is not really evil, and most important, someone else is to blame for the way you feel about it. For our culture, it is usually your parents that are blamed or your environment. But as the world wages its war against the guilt and shame of sin, understand that there is something that is taking place when this happens. The enemy is attempting to undermine both the necessity and the beauty of gospel forgiveness. If the enemy can get you to believe that sin is really not that bad and your guilt and shame is really someone else's fault, then you will never see your need for the savior. If sin is not a big deal, then why would the son of God come down from heaven? The fact is sin is a very big deal. For those of you who are today currently dead in your trespasses and sin, doesn't matter if you're 10, 8 or 85, Without Christ, that is your position. You are dead in trespasses and sin. And the devil's design is to make you think that your sins are really not that bad and that the guilt that you feel is really someone else's fault. I want you to know it is a lie. You won't see the glory and the excellency of pardoning mercy unless you are convinced of the vileness of your sin before God. And if you think lightly about sin, you will think lightly about the Savior. That's why you can't sing the songs like we just sung together without your affections moving for God. Son, I'm just telling you, I like to rapture, listen to those songs. Why? Because you understand the vileness of your sin and the glory and wonder of the cross of Christ and what he actually did for us. So, the greatest blessing, we saved this one from last week, correct? We talked about Hebrews chapter 8. We talked about the blessedness of the new covenant. And we elucidated several promises that are in that covenant that are amazing. That it would be an internal work and not an external work. That we would belong to the Lord. All those different promises. We saved one for this week in our observance of the new covenant or in the the Lord's Supper. And it, of of course, is given to us in verse 12. It is the gospel of forgiveness. Listen to the word. For I will be merciful toward... Their iniquities. Believe it or not, this is translated unrighteousnesses. Now that's awkward in English. But that's truly the word in the Greek. It is the plurality of iniquity or sin. And so the Bible says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. Boy, isn't this awesome? And I will remember their sins no more. So this is the, the greatest blessing and the most glorious promise Given to us in the new covenant is the forgiveness of sins. The greatest thing given to you, the greatest promise and blessing of the gospel is that your sins are forgiven by Jesus Christ. That's the blessing of forgiveness. So my prayer as we study this final promise in a few moments before we partake of the Lord's table. I, my prayer is that if your sins have not been forgiven... That the Holy Spirit will open your heart and mind to the gracious and able and willing Savior today. And you would not leave this place without the burden of your sin being removed. For the ones of you that know Christ, I pray that God will revive your hearts as you ponder the power and the wonder and the beauty of gospel forgiveness. If you're saved today, your burden has been taken away. For Christ's sake. For Him. He did that for you. So just one point. Aren't you thankful I've got at least one? We must treasure the treasure of gospel forgiveness. That's the call of Hebrews. It's all the way through the book of Hebrews that that once, once for all sacrifice for our sins. So my call to you as we partake at the Lord's table today is that you will cherish the treasure of gospel forgiveness. Now the word for... In verse 12, for I will be merciful. What does that conjunction tell you? That it is connected to what has been said before. So in that regard, it tells us this is not a new thought. Paul is building. um, The writer of Hebrews is building. By the way, I think Luke probably penned it. And Paul probably gave the word to put it down. That's my understanding. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Yeah, I do. God wrote Hebrews, correct? But the fact is... We we are when you look at that word for, and you're cherishing gospel forgiveness, uh, and you're looking back at what the new covenant was established for. What does it really teach us? First, forgiveness is the basis of the new covenant. It is. There's a connection in this passage with the forgiveness of sins and the ability to know God. In other words, knowing Him and the and God forgiving our sins is connected. Together. So forgiveness, according to Jeremiah, as he presents the new covenant for us in Jeremiah 31, 31-34, forgiveness is the basis of that new covenant relationship. How can you know Him? And why can you know Him this morning? David brought that out when he was speaking before one of the songs. I hope you have the good memory to always remember that sin is an impediment to knowing God. Sin is what separates us from God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2, the Bible says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. So sin causes a fundamental breach between us and our Creator. And as as long as we are in an unregenerate state without forgiveness of sins, there's no way that we can claim to know God. What is happening in the New Covenant for us is on the inside. And it's the fundamental reception and acknowledgement of the fact that you need to be forgiven of your sin and that Jesus Christ, in fact, forgives you of your sin. That's the reality of the New new Covenant. So the moment you actually come to know God is to know that He is the one who has actually forgiven you. And ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know or don't have a reception and an acknowledgment of the forgiveness of God, then you don't know God no matter, how you, no matter what you say. In other words, He's unknowable apart from forgiveness of sins. You can't know Him, period. That's the basis of the new, test, of the new covenant. Forgiveness of sins is the basic basis of it. God is only known by sinners as a merciful, forgiving God who through the cross washed away our sins. That's the only way that He can be known. There's only one way to know God, and it is through the cross of Christ. In the cross, we see His death. It was violent. It was vicarious. But it was highly victorious, right? We see that death. We see His propitiation for our sins. We see the Son of God bearing the wrath of His Father. And all of that violence that should have been poured out on you was, in fact, poured out on His Son. And we see the vicarious nature of Christ being willing to bear that sin penalty. Folks, here in Baptist Life, at FBCO, you can study the attributes of God your entire life. And you can memorize passage after passage that talks about the character of God. And yet, if you don't know God as the merciful and forgiving God that forgives sin through the cross of Christ, you don't know God. You have to know Him and must know Him only through forgiveness. This is the promise of the new covenant. Forgiveness is the basis of the new covenant. Number two, the Lord will act in mercy. Notice verse 12, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. That's an awkward way to describe sins, unrighteousnesses, but that's what it is. This, uh, this word combines the attitude of the heart, which disregards and disrespects and disobeys the Lord God who created you, the very one who gave the law. We talked about that last week, the Ten Commandments. But it's not only do you have the attitude of the heart, but what happens? You have it manifested in actions and deeds. So the attitude of the heart comes forth in action and and in deeds. The actions will be opposite of what the Bible tells us is good and just. So unrighteousness would be unjust deeds in the sight of God. Are we all guilty? Amen. You better believe it. And not because someone else, it's not someone else's fault. That you have an attitude of the heart and mind that is in rebellion against God. And it issues forth into actions with deliberate nature to it. That proves that you are in an unregenerate state. So there is a willfulness in our sins. Which is an insult to the majesty and holiness and grandeur of our God. He's the one who made you. And the Bible tells us he is worthy of your obedience. We owe him respect. We owe him honor. And yet we come into this world basically saying, I'm going to do this my own way. We come into this world and that's our mindset. We're going to do it our own way. That's Blatant disregard to the obedience that God, in fact, requires. And that is called unrighteousness. Notice what he says. I will be merciful toward their iniquities or their unrighteousness. Kids, do you realize that every time you say I'm not going to do what mom and dad tells me to do, you are not only violating the fifth commandment, but you're also guilty of a rebellious heart against God. Every single time, yes kids, that sermon was for free this morning. Every time you say no to mom and dad, I'm not going to do that. In essence, you are defying the God who made you. That's what you're doing. You're ultimately rebelling against the God of heaven. This is, that, that is what we all are doing when God says, this, these are my statutes. But yet we say, I'm going to do it my own way. Many of you here... What I'm saying at this point, and you're thinking, I'm going to turn off this pastor. And if I don't turn him off, I can't, if i keep listening, I may have to stop what I'm doing. Right? We all sense that, don't we? we? We sense the Lord putting his finger on those areas of life that we have that are in rebellion against him. I'm not going to do this because it's my life. I own my life. That's what we think. So in doing this, you raise your fist against the Lord in defiance. And he's the God who made you. The Bible calls this unrighteousness. Now notice the promise. I will be merciful. You all know what that word translates? Propitious. How many of you used that word yesterday? (laughs) No, I'm sure you did not. Do you know that in the word of God, when the tax collector is praying in the temple right behind the Pharisee, and the Pharisee says, "I'm I'm so glad I'm not like this dude back here praying that I've got a monopoly on the Lord and I'm good externally, right? But when the publican takes his fist and hits himself in his own chest and he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, that is the word propitious. God, be propitious toward me, the sinner. So God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be propitious to me, a sinner. Now, the Bible just says merciful, but the idea and the underlying assumption is that God must act. On our behalf, it's not something you are doing; it is something that God is doing. So the publican was saying, "God, be mercied to me, be propitious toward me." Propitiation must have taken place so that mercy can be given freely. Something had to take place in order for God to be propitious toward sinners. How does does God remain absolutely holy and right and perfect, and yet at the same time be able to forgive sinners? How can God allow sinful people to be in heaven where there is no sin? God has to be propitious. God has to act on our behalf. God never stops being holy, folks. He's always just and holy. And in order for God to show mercy, His justice must be satisfied. And His justice has been satisfied through the one act of the Son of God. On Calvary. Where He turned the wrath of the Father away from you. The wrath that you deserve, Jesus took on Himself. Why? So that He could be propitious. He, he, propitiation is the, the, is the appeasement and the turning of the wrath of God away. So that when He looks at you, He sees His Son. Amen. Accomplishing what we could have never done for ourselves. So because God has been propitiated. His wrath has been appeased. He's able to show mercy to those who he will show mercy. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17. What God is saying here in the new covenant, promise, is that because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, God can now freely, graciously, and sovereignly pardon you and me for our sins. Amen. That's what he's saying in the new covenant. He can do that. His justice is satisfied, and God is free to show mercy and pardon all of my unrighteous deeds. Hallelujah for the Savior. Did the kids study the triumphal entry this morning? They did. Did they come down the hallway saying, Hosanna? Blessed is He. Y'all know where that comes from. It didn't just spring up in Matthew and Mark and Luke. It comes from Zechariah nine. 9. Behold, your King comes riding on the foal of a donkey. Boy, isn't God awesome? I mean, that's prophesied hundreds, hundreds of years before Jesus got on that donkey. And I want to remind you of something. He did it to enter Jerusalem, to be the sacrifice for your sins, and to turn the wrath of the Father away from you. Folks, sin is a big deal. No one will ever get to heaven without the Father being propitiated for the sins of the world. And it only could happen through Jesus Christ. That's why there's no other Savior. There's no other way to heaven. These are not parallel roads that all go, and it doesn't matter what you are in the end, God's just going to say, well, all roads lead to heaven. That's not so, folks. If that were true, Christ did not need to come down from heaven. The Son of God came down because sin is a big deal. So the basis of the covenant was forgiveness of sins. And then God would be able to act to be merciful and propitious toward us and forgive us and mercy us. Why? All because of Jesus. What a gospel we have. And finally, number three, the Lord will remember our sins no more. Now notice the next part, remember our sins no more. Now if you've sensed the weight of your sin, can you think of anything better than the omniscient creator of the universe remembering your sins no more? Sin, again, means that God has set the standard and we have chose to wander away from it and do our own thing. Remember Isaiah's words in Isaiah 53? We've all, gone like sheep, have gone astray. But He hath laid the iniquities of us all upon Christ. But God says, I will not remember your sins. Think about this. Sin means that God has set the standard and we choose to wander away from it and do our, own thing, do our own thing. It is to place self and the world as our ultimate end. And yet God says all of those wanderings. And all of those substituting of things that don't matter. And all that rebellion that we talked about early, in choosing your own way. God says I will not remember that anymore. What an incredible reminder. Can God forget anything? Can He It's a good theological question. But the answer to that is, nope, he can't. He can't forget anything. He knows all things. He knows everything possible and actual. He knows everything exhaustively and comprehensively at all times. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows it all. This means that there's not a sin that you or I have ever committed that God doesn't know about. So when he says in this statement that I will remember their sins no more, it means that he wipes away our sins as if they were out of His mind. I will not bring those sins up again as a point of controversy or condemnation. Thus, Romans 8.1, For there is therefore now no condemnation or guilt to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. So He knows everything exhaustively, yet... He will not bring those sins up against us again. It would be, an awesome, it'd be awesome if we lived that way, right? How many of you get into an argument with your spouse and you go back to 1999? Or you go back, well, back in 2004. You see that forgiveness, according to the way we see it in the Bible, is actually not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. We don't live like that. It would be great if we did, and we should. But the debt has been paid, and there's no legal controversy between me and you. How can we look at the cross of Calvary and know that reconciliation was made, and according to uh, Ephesians, you've been forgiven so much, and yet we can look at our brothers and sisters in this church and have a spirit of unforgiveness toward them? Folks, what's wrong with us? But that happens, does it not? Or against your spouse, or against somebody that professes to be a believer. How can we we be forgiven so much, and yet have an unforgiving spirit? David could say in Psalm 103, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. What do y'all know about east and west? Well, those are two totally different directions, right? Right? So when the God of eternity begins to talk about His unlimited love toward us and the forgiveness that He gives us, He uses earth's latitude, not longitude, to tell us that your sins are gone. All because of Jesus. Micah 7, 19, He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Cory ten Boom said, and He places a no fishing sign there. Think about the reality of being forgiven. How does he do this? Well, Matthew chapter 25 reminds us. Matthew 26 says, on the night that he was betrayed, he took that cup. And when he, after he had blessed it, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood that is poured out. Listen, for the forgiveness of sins. Folks, that's what we're doing here today. We are remembering what Christ did for us in order to forgive us of our sins. How can He do this? He can do this because He bore our sins. He exhausted the divine justice of God on our behalf. And therefore, justice has been completely satisfied. In other words, you ought to like the word satisfaction. You could never meet God's holy standard. You couldn't satisfy holy justice. But the King of glory who knew no sin became sin for us that the very righteousness of God might be given to us. What a glorious thought that our Father was satisfied. And furthermore, you see the satisfaction. And we'll talk about that next Sunday morning when the grave could not hold the Son of God. The Father vindicated the Son. Why? Because it validated the work of Christ that what He did satisfied the Father. If He were to remember our sins, He would disgrace the very blood of the covenant of His Son. Isn't an awesome thing? To know that the Father has forgiven your debt. Past, present, and future. He has chosen not to remember your sins. Nothing is better than that. Nothing than to know full well that your sins have been forgotten. When you sing, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin part but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul it's a glorious thought for a reason My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. That's the gospel, folks. There's no knowing God, period, without the gospel and without forgiveness of sins. Who is the covenant for? Everyone who is forgiven of their sins. Now, we're Baptists, right? You're a member of Southern Baptist Church, but I'm not sure all of us are Baptists. Most of us probably hadn't ever read the Baptist faith and message. You don't know what you believe. I'm not trying to be funny, but it's true. Right? And that's why we're doing the doctrinal study at nights on Sunday nights. But the deal is, we're Baptists. And we don't just sprinkle a little water here and sprinkle a little water there and throw people into the water and say, You're good, folks. That's why we baptize people after they have forgiveness of sins. Because baptism does not forgive you of your sins. Baptism... Makes the gospel visible. Yes, it shows what's happened on the inside. But folks, you're not going to ever go to heaven just by water baptism. It's only through forgiveness of sins. You can't be in the covenant without forgiveness of sins. Now I know in this group we have done some rotten things. I know you. We deserve the wrath of God. Yet, if you are in Christ, your Father refuses to remember your sins anymore. Isn't that awesome? If you're in Christ, if that's not good news, then I don't really have anything else to say to you. He remembers your sins no more. Why carry this morning the guilt and shame when Jesus stands ready to forgive you of all your sins? Christ's death was powerful enough to remove all your sins. Would you come to Christ? And wouldn't it be an awesome thing for you to hear those words? My child, you are forgiven. The debt has been canceled. If you feel your need for Him, that's the Spirit of God drawing you to Him. And this service is designed a little differently without an, without an invitation. But I promise you, if you'd stiff-arm many of the men around this church or myself, we'll tell you how to know Christ. We will. It's pretty easy. Repent. Believe. The Bible says it clearly. Acts chapter 2. Repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That's what the text says. If you feel your need for Him, that's the Spirit of God drawing you. Yield to the Spirit of God and embrace Christ. And the Bible says you will be whiter than snow. Father, as we have a couple of more hymns, Lord, to prepare us for the Lord's Supper. Lord, let us exalt in You today for the wonderful gift of the forgiveness of sins. Father, my prayer is that even as I speak, You're wooing the hearts of people who are lost. You are helping them to see the vileness of their sins and their need for the great act of redemption. You are Savior for God. In this manner, you love the world that you gave your one, only, unique Son. That whoever believes in Him will not perish, there's the danger, but have everlasting life. Father, would you help us as we partake of the Lord's table to give you glory for the gospel of forgiveness. May we cherish it and treasure it.